Hi, I'm Ellen Kagan from Moving and Grooving with Ellen, and today I have a wonderful guest with me, Dr. Matthew Bojo, who's going to rock and roll with me this morning. Dr. Bojo is a professor of pathology in the Department of Pathology at Stanford University School of Medicine. He is also a professor of the Department of Microbiology and Immunology and has a BS from Bates College and a PhD from MIT. Dr. Bojo leads the Bojo Lab at Stanford, and he currently serves on the editorial board of Biochemical Journal, Cell Chemical Biology, Molecular and Cellular prote Proteomics, and is an academic editor of PLOS One. Dr. Bojo runs many in-person seminars, the first one since the pandemic held at my alma mater, Matt, which I love, USC, <laughs> last month, where I got some graduate degrees, so it's a beautiful campus, great place to start. Dr. Bojo has many honors and awards. I could go on and on and on and on, but we wouldn't be able to do a show, could we, Matt? I mean, really, we couldn't. No. Dr. Bojo is also a consultant for several biotechnology and pharmaceutical companies in the Bay Area and is a founder and board member of Acrotome Imaging and Fast Seal Therapeutics. His uh, website for the BioLab, uh, Bojo Lab, excuse me, his um, Bojo Lab website um, is http uh, colon slash slash www.bojolab.stanford.edu. But you can go um, on the internet and just look it up. Just go to Bojo Lab and you'll find him right there. Also, I want to say right now, and this is for you too, Matt, um, if anybody has any questions for you or um, any comments or ideas um, for you or for me or for anybody, just um, email me at Ellen Kagan, E-L-L-E-N-K-A-G-A-N, at gmail.com, and Matt would be happy to respond through me, or I'd be happy to respond. So, hi, Matt. How are you? Good. How you doing, Ellen? Doing good. good. Where, where are you? Are you at Stanford, or are you at home? Yeah, no, I'm sitting in my office here at Stanford on the campus. Ah, and it's gorgeous as usual over at Stanford? Yeah, and it's hot even. It's been in almost 90 degrees here oh, every day for the last couple of days. God, have you been <laughs> swimming and having a great time? Uh, yeah, we've been out and about, you know, watching soccer games and stuff like that. Fantastic, <laughs> fantastic, because today it was, by the way, I want to tell everybody, Matt um, is a good friend. He's been a neighbor at Mashby Wakeby Lake in the summers for a gazillion years, except for the past couple of years because of COVID and whatever. But um, I have to tell you, Matt, Mashby Wakeby Lake, it was raining today. I have to go bail my boat. I mean, not like you, <laughs> not like you. Anyway, yeah, New England weather, right? Oh, New England weather. Oh man, oh man, <laughs> and it's supposed to be like this tomorrow too. So, what, but I'm happy. What can I say? <laughs> For everyone's um, interest, we're, I'm at the um, Burlington Cable Access TV State of the Art um, Podcast Studio, and um, it's great. Everyone here is great and so helpful. So, first, I'd like to ask you though, for everyone out there, I mean, what is the Bojo Lab? What do you do over there? Yeah, so my training is initially in chemistry. Actually, I did my PhD in chemistry, but then works more in biological settings, and my interests have been to do research related to um, class of enzymes called proteases that are involved in a number of different, um, both normal and pathological processes. So we study both um, pathogens like parasites and bacteria, but we also study cancer. Um, and we do basic biomedical research and some translational research. So one of the big areas we're interested in right now is um, contrast agents for surgery. So this is the new state of the art is um, surgeries are done robotically in a lot of cases, and uh, it has the ability for the surgeons to be able to use um, fluorescence cameras and fluorescence imaging. So if you can create um, 
agents that you can put into a patient and that give off fluorescent light, for example, within a tumor, then when the surgeon's trying to find that tumor and cut it out of your body, uh, they can actually flick a switch and be able to see that fluorescence and then cut out all of your tumor and make sure not to leave any behind. So we as chemists build the, the agent, the fluorescent molecule that we then put into patients and then the surgeons use that during their procedure. So, so that part of the lab is very sort of translational, but it's, a, it's, a, it's made up of a mix of, um, of postdocs and graduate students predominantly. Postdocs are people who have finished their PhDs and are now doing additional training before they go on to either become academics or uh, work in industry. And then the graduate students are people who are just working to finish their PhD, and they're the ones who are doing all the, the research. I'm just sort of guiding them and, and getting grant support to be able to do that work. You're just sort of guiding them, I bet. Uh-huh. I think you have a lot of input yeah. over there. Oh, yeah, right. Now, didn't you just get an NIH grant? Didn't I read that on the Internet? Yeah, yeah. We, um, we apply for most of our funding to do our research. It comes from the National Institutes of Health. Um, so to get those funds, you have to write a, a sort of what's called a, a research grant. It then gets reviewed by panels of experts. Um, and then if they decide the work that you're proposing is, is impactful and important, then they'll give it a good score, and then the NIH will give you money uh, to do the research. So that's basically how we survive and how we run. Um, I do want to ask you about COVID, because you told me when we talked um, a few weeks back that you're doing research in COVID. Is that so? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the interesting part, being a scientist when COVID hit, um, pretty much everyone realized the importance. And uh, we had an inside scoop on how significant this was going to be. In fact, um, I have some close friends at UCSF who were part of a panel that was discussing COVID when it was, it was clear that this was going to become a worldwide pandemic. And so their projections were pretty dire at that time. And when, I had access me, to just, that. And, just one sec. Uh, when did you, uh, yeah. when did you feel, cause we knew in March of 2020, when did you really know that this was going to be bad? Well, I mean, I think the, so the stuff started to get bad in China in, in December. I actually had a postdoc in my lab from China who went back on December 31st to China. And then I was in touch with him regularly in January and he was telling me how bad it was getting there. So that gave me a real clear view on what was happening. I mean, everything was being locked down very, very strictly there. He couldn't leave his house um, under military control almost. Um, and so, you know, we saw that. And at first you think, well, that's too bad. That's really rough for China. But then as you heard the expert panels and epidemiologists talking um, prior to it actually hitting in the U.S., you knew that it was going to be a, a major, major um, issue. And they were predicting, you know, it was going to be ultimately millions of people infected and possibly killed. And I remember going on Facebook and sort of alerting my contacts and saying, you know, this is serious. You need to take it serious. There's going to be, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in the United States killed. And everyone thought I was crazy. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, yeah, we were hoping you were crazy, you know. What can I yeah, say? Yeah, yeah. Because I have a friend yeah. who's a cardiologist. In fact, he'll be on the show um, next month. And he said, oh, Ellen, when, way back in March of 2020, he said, Ellen, it's going to be two years before this is even you know, we're back to somewhat, yeah, yeah. somewhat normal. I know, I know. So yeah. let me ask you, you knew all this in December of 2019. So how did you personally react? I mean, did you do any lockdowns at home with your family? Or what did you do? No, I mean, at that point, there was no evidence that there was a virus around in our communities. I mean, I think also, even if you knew that at that point, no one really understood well how it spread. And I mean, I remember we were just like everyone else when it first hit, you know, we were washing down our groceries and doing all the things that turned out to be not very effective or not very important. But, you know, it takes a while to really understand these things. Um, but as a research scientist, we wanted to jump in and help out. So we 
we started working on, as I, as I mentioned to you, my lab studies an enzyme called proteases, and it turns out the virus makes protease or makes multiple proteases that it uses to process it, itself into fragments that it needs to reproduce inside the host cell. And so um, those become interesting targets for therapeutics because if you can shut down the protease, you can prevent the virus from replicating. So we started immediately working on the protease from SARS-CoV-2 uh, as soon as we could get a hold of it. And so that allowed us to keep our lab open because we were, we were working on finding new molecules to defeat the virus. Um, and then slowly but surely, a lot of other labs shifted over. And it was, it was pretty cool to watch because all these people with expertise in different areas and different science just suddenly drop what they were doing and turn their attention on this one virus. Um, and so it's, it's been, it's been really cool. I think the speed at which science moved in those early days in March was really impressive. Um, and the fact that we got a crystal structure of, the spike protein that was used to develop the vaccines and then the RNA vaccines were pushed forward and we were able to get through all the FDA testing and get the, vi- the vaccine out in less than a year. It's just, it's phenomenal. Well, it's, it's, it's fantastic. How do you feel that um, this whole issue has been handled w- uh, with someone like Fauci or Shah from Brown? Um, do you feel that the, uh, the government, once we got Biden in, I mean, I won't even go into Trump, but once, yeah. we, how do you feel it's being handled? Well, I mean, Fauci, I'm a big fan. Um, he, you know, he's he's been the head of the NIAID at the NIH, which is the National Institute for um, Allergy and Infectious Disease. He's he's just a great guy. Um, was involved in the whole HIV um, pandemic or outbreak that happened in the 80s, and so he was just uh, he's always been very level-headed, and he responded. He's obviously been attacked for, at various points, mainly because. You know, it's always easy to look back and, you know, Monday morning quarterback and say, well, this this was wrong, that was wrong. Right. But, you know, we were learning as we went along. So I think, yeah, the, the problem with the response has mainly, in my opinion, been that, um, you know, it, it, the media has done a good job of covering aspects of what's going on. But to be fair, they want to publish something that gets people's attention. So that tends to be either really great news or really bad news. Right. Um, and so you get a lot of play up of things that, don't need to be played up like when the variants hit certainly the early stage variants they were made out to be a lot worse than they were uh, obviously delta is a different story but um it's a little hard to you know know what's what's really real or not and you know we're learning a lot of this stuff in real time i think that the biggest travesty is that it was politicized and, mm-hmm. and it was made into this us versus them uh, sort of scenario which is really bad because i think at the beginning of the pandemic people all got together and Everyone said, let's put aside our differences, and we're all fighting this virus. Well, d- d- didn't you put hydrochloroquine in you and uh, your family, Matt? I mean, <laughs> no. didn't you run right no, up? I know that was the, you didn't do that? Yeah, that was the other, no, I mean, that was the other problem. Everyone wanted some quick fix to things and pushed forward, you know, you know, drugs that really weren't validated. Really, I, I, you know, when you heard Trump say that, um, I don't want to stop politicizing this, but you know me, I can't help it. Because really, when you heard <laughs> him say, put bleach in your body, everyone was like, excuse me, really? You know, yeah. And now we've got this uh, horse thing, what, Invervectin or something? Have, have you been... Ivermectin, yeah. Now, what, what is that? Because I just think it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, but I, I don't know exactly it's, what it is. Yeah, it's a deworming medication that's <laughs> used um, in animals for the most part, but there is... Somehow, some evidence that came forward um, from what's called anecdotal data. So this is the problem with data uh, is that if you look at a, a, a cherry pick, a few cases where something happened, you can't prove that there's cause there. You can simply say that you know someone who maybe took this 
crazy medication and they did better, right. but that may not have it has nothing to do with the medication. That's why the FDA has stringent protocols for how they test drugs. And unless right, they go right. through those proto- protocols, yeah. you can't tell. So yeah. ivermectin is one of those and it got pushed forward and, and it was easily available. And so people believed it. And why do people believe these things? Though? This is what gets me, Matt. I mean, why, yeah. why would you believe stuff like this uh, if the FDA is not approving it? You know, if, if someone like President Biden is saying, get a booster, do not put hydrochloroquine in your body. I mean, wh- why? I, 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 I guess through this whole thing, what has really astonished me, and it really shouldn't, because as uh, P.T. Barnum said, there was a sucker born every moment, you know, any, every minute. Yeah. But you say to yourself, yeah. you, 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 really, you really think you should be doing this sort of thing. I, I, I don't get it. But I do want to ask you about the Merck pill. Because you and I t- kind of talked yeah. about that in the email. Well, what is the Merck pill? You said you've known about it for a long time, but certainly those of us who aren't in your field, we, we haven't heard yeah, about no, it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it got a little press in the sort of, it got quite a bit of press just a few days before the clinical data was released. But that press was due to the fact that someone had made a comment that, in fact, it works on the, the variants of the virus, which is, which is absolutely true. It's not, it's not a surprising statement at all because the way that drug works is it works on the machinery that replicates the RNA inside the cell. Um, and it has nothing to do with the coat protein, which is what the variants are mutating. So mm-hmm. it's not surprising the, vari- the variants are sensitive. But yeah, it's, a really ex- it's an exciting advance. I mean, I think it, the, the data seems pretty solid that it has a very positive effect uh, in a phase three study, which is the last state and largest part of the clinical trials that are being done. Yeah. So I think it's entirely possible you'll see that drug get approved for use, um, even in mild cases of COVID, um, sometime in the next few months, probably. And that, that would be a big benefit because, you know, um, the current drugs that are available are expensive. Monoclonal antibodies is another strategy, but those, again, require infusions and they're, they're not that easy to get a hold of. And you have to catch it very early for those to work to be able to neutralize the virus. Right. Um, so I think, so I think that this is definitely a new arrow in the quiver against COVID. Um, and I think it's, you know, once we have Good vaccination and good, you know, level of base immunity across our our communities of people, plus mm. some kinds of treatment strategies. We should be through the worst of this. Okay, I, I I really hope so because I got to tell you, I am still. I don't know how you are, but I am still extremely mm. vigilant. I have not hugged. Yeah. I have not hugged um, Elizabeth or any of my family, any of my family, yeah. and none of us has. Yeah. And we're always outside. Yeah. When I go up to Wellesley, yeah. which is where my family are, um, we're outside. We're wearing our masks, and I don't know. Do you, are you like this, or are you freer with where you're going and, and who you're being with? Well, I mean, I think because we realize now that the spread almost exclusively happens when you have prolonged exposure to aerosols from someone who's infected. You know, you have to think about what that is. So it means like, where are you, and where are other people that you don't know the status of their? Yeah. You know, are, are these so? These are in public places, right? But if you're in large open spaces in public, wearing a mask is certainly sufficient to keep you well protected. If you're outdoors, I pretty much never wear a mask unless for some reason you'd be really close contact. Uh-huh. But even then, it's very difficult to take in enough aerosol for the most part. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't eat indoors at restaurants, um, but I do I. go to yeah. I go I go to indoor venues if it's if I know I can control my surroundings mm-hmm. reasonably well. And, and as the viral cases start to drop, now your, your, your risk level goes down because the chances of being exposed right. even indoors is, is reduced. So it's looking good. Um, things are dropping now. The virus is, is in a recession, but 
we don't really understand why it seems to come in these weird sort of two or three month bursts. Right. Um, right. Well, did you, do, you think, do you think it has anything to do with the fact of these people getting together? I mean, you look at the Patriots game last night, you know, the Patriots Buccaneers. I mean, how many hundreds of thousands yeah. of people were squished together there? And I don't know if everyone yeah. was, you know, I'm thinking to myself, boy, if ever there was a super spreader, this one's it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but you could see that, but it doesn't really fit the data because, you know, we had a surge, but then, you know, it's coming down now and mm. people are still, you know, going to sporting events. In fact, it's, in, it's ramping up more and more over time because people are just tired of dealing with the pandemic and there's less yep. restrictions overall. And schools, you know, kids are back at school now. Yep. My kids are at school, you know, but you're not seeing you're not seeing it a sustained high point in the number of infections. So right. there's something going on biologically with the virus as well. And it may have to do with, um, you know, the populations that are most susceptible are getting infected and then it starts to clear because there's nowhere for it to go. So then it needs a while to mutate and become a variant and then it comes back as a variant. So that's kind of what more likely what's going on. Did they ever figure out why the pandemic of 1918 just kind of disappeared? I mean, it just died. I mean, Typically, what happens with organisms like viruses is that over time they mutate, and they are trying. They're they're being by selection. They're selecting for traits that are good for them and their ability to spread. But that doesn't always mean the greatest fitness or the the most um, you know detrimental effects on the host. Mm. So that means over time, what happens is that virus is still around. You know, they caused those pandemics, but yeah. now it's just not a big deal, which is likely what's going to happen with this one, right? It'll become less problematic, right. less deadly, people will, and so eventually it'll be circulating around like a flu. So what do you think of the booster? Is Biden right? Do you think, uh, not just Biden, but I mean the scientists, uh, should we all get boosters? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the boosters make sense if you have the availability. The question about boosters is whether that's a good use of vaccine, you know, materials at this point until the whole world has become, you know, uh, able to get access to the vaccines. I think for 65 and older and people who have health conditions, it absolutely makes sense. There's definitely, we know that the antibody response, which is the primary sort of gauntlet our immune system sets up, yeah. uh, that wanes with time. So the problem is if you don't have that first gauntlet, your chances of becoming positive and getting some level of COVID infection go up. Um, mm. You have other immune cells in your body called B and T cells that then still help protect, but those take a while to kind of ramp up. So the boosters help you from ever becoming positive for the virus. But yeah. even when you do become positive, for most cases, you're going to be a much milder or very weak infection mm. overall, even if you haven't been boosted. So You know what the worst why. part of this whole thing is really on? I mean, one of the worst parts, because, you know, people dying is horrible, really horrible. 700,000 yeah. people. But the worst part is I cannot watch TV when they talk about all the symptoms, because then mm -hmm. you st and someone said to me, Ellen, you're going to get the flu shot. Because you don't, of course I do. I said, but you know, I wouldn't know if I had the flu if I get symptoms. I probably think it was COVID right away because I get so um, paranoid, you know, thinking, oh, I feel this or this. In fact, the kids have been tested so many times, uh, Elizabeth's kids, because you, you, when you get the sniffles, you get nerved up and you think, oh my yeah. God, oh my God. And really, if we didn't have COVID, it's nothing, it goes away by itself. So, I've right. cut, I've cut right. down my TV watching when it comes to news or anything about COVID. I'm saying, Ellen, just use yeah. your head, you know, be vigilant, yeah. do what you're doing. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I'm in the studio now. We are wearing masks. Of course, as, as I'm talking to you, we're not wearing I'm not wearing a mask. But when I go out into, with everyone else, there are about five or six of us here, I wear a mask. Yeah. Just with, you know, but otherwise, I can't. 
the the other thing that, that it is the same on the same level. All those ads for uh, medicines, you know, pharmaceuticals on TV. Every, every single symptom, yeah. I've never heard of half the symptoms, Matt. But then you start yeah. you say, I cannot yeah. watch this crap. I cannot watch this because it's so ridiculous. Anyway, th- those, yeah. are, those are my thoughts you know, for, about this because... Yeah, no, I think, I, I think it's, that's the challenge now is people, any kind of sickness, they, they get concerned that it's COVID. And that, that's a reasonable concern. But there are now these rapid antigen tests that you can even buy at CBS that are yeah. they're not greatly... If you have symptoms, they're about 60% effective at telling you um, whether or not, if you get a negative result, you really aren't infected. If you yeah. get a positive result with one of those antigen tests, then you know you pretty much have it. But... Um, the negative result is only about 60%. Well, then, did you hear what happened to those two women in The View? They were supposed to interview um, Kamala Harris. She was on. And they got yeah. a positive. Did you hear that story? They got positive results for COVID. So they had to leave the studio. And that they eventually interviewed uh, Vice President Harris. She was in another room. She never came out. Turns out their results were false positives. They didn't even have yeah. COVID. I mean, excuse me. So, yeah, I'm trying to yeah. be very, very, um, what's the word, very, um, uh, use common sense. Now, I say that to everyone, too. Yeah. Use common sense. Uh, try not to panic. Yeah. Although I do think yeah. if you have kids today, it's very hard sending them to school. You know, I, I really, I yeah. sympathize with every parent who's got a kid somewhere. Yeah, but I mean, I th- I think the thing is, kids are, you know, you know, we've watched the schools go back. I have a daughter now at Wheaton College in Norton, Mass, and she's, she, you know, that college is very small, so it's kind of good. It's like this little bubble. Yeah. Um, and they've had very few cases, and they're testing them, I think, twice a week. Yep. Or maybe once a week at right. this point. Right. But, you know, and they're only quarantining kids that come back with a positive test. They're not quarantining everyone they've been in contact mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. And so they're only using they're only using two or three of the 20 rooms they have for quarantine. Ah. Um, and I think they've only had a total of five cases or something, and there's about 2,000 students there. And certainly yeah. they're not... They're not all masked up all the time, right. and, but they're all vaccinated, right? They had to yeah. be vaccinated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, they do. They can't go to Wheaton if they're not vaccinated, can they? Yeah, I think you. Ha- there are a few exceptions that you could have, but um, pretty much, yeah, you have You've got to be vaccinated. Yeah, right. I think they should be. I, I really do. Yeah. Um, obviously, you're yeah. vaccinated, and your family's yeah. vaccinated. Yeah. I'm vaccinated. We got yep. vaccinated. I got Moderna. So um, right now, yep. there's no uh, booster yet for Moderna. But I figure I'll, I'll no. get it when it um, if it happens, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll, if it happens. Well, Moderna has been super protective. And I think it's because they, they used an extremely high dose because um, they wanted to be sure they were getting a good response. And, right. and, it, and it worked out. So, yeah. So that's why. Well, it's been good. For me. I, did, I really I have to say I've been very lucky. I, I think I was just had a temperature for maybe a day, like everyone said, you know, and uh, I, I have yeah. no complaints at all. I, I've been moving and grooving, as I always do, and I, I'm just very fortunate. But I do hear these stories. I mean, I don't understand why certain things happen to certain people and not other people, because really, um, but anyway, we'll move on. I do want to know how you protected yourself during that first year. What did you and your family do? Were you home? Well, how did, um, yeah, like I was at home, like as soon as, the whole lockdown happened. California was one of the first states to actually have a shelter in place order. Mm-hmm. In fact, I remember getting called. I got called by some of my colleagues in other parts of the country saying, Oh, what's going on? What's it like to have a lockdown? And all of a sudden, yeah. <laughs> and I remember posting right. about, mm-hmm. I, I remember posting about the lockdown on Facebook and having someone who was in North Carolina saying, Oh, well, that's really too bad. I'm <laughs> yes. sorry to hear yeah, that. Right. It's like, well, it's coming mm-hmm. your way. Yeah. people. It's mm-hmm. coming your way. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we were, 
ever since that happened, I was at home and worked from home. And then uh, people in my lab would come in to do the bench work and research. But um, all of our meetings were virtual, and we just saw no one at that point. And I I think you told me, Matt, that you had two teenagers at home. So what was that like? What was that like? Yeah, it was actually really, I tell people, I mean, we, we, my wife and I were always mentioning how we felt for the people with young children where yep. it's like they don't really get the whole pandemic thing. They want to be out running around. They uh-huh. want to be out around other kids. But teenagers, they actually worked out in our favor because um, it was fun to hang out with them. And they would have normally been out and about all the time and right. never wanted to give us time of day. So we really got to know our kids a lot better as yeah. teenagers than I think we would have. So it was a silver lining. But did <laughs> Benny misses? he plays soccer, right? Your son. Yeah. Yeah, it was too bad. That that was a bummer. There was really no soccer and he did some conditioning at home and yeah, then eventually yeah. they went to the they started off where practices were standing in individual little boxes and they weren't interacting at all right. and it ramped up slowly. So yeah. So how long was the lab closed for? Um, we weren't closed at all because as I said, as soon as um they made the the call to shut everything down, we 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 shifted our work to pan to pandemic-related mm-hmm. or COVID-related research. Mm-hmm. So they let us keep a small number of people. So I always had at least two or three people coming in and working. Oh, that's um, cool. So that, that, that was helpful, too, because we didn't have to shut down all our instruments or deal right. with you know, stuff. Um, they let people come in if you had, for example, mice or other experiments where you had to keep things alive. Right, right, right. Um, oh, so yeah, you was yeah. very lucky. Now, did your kids uh, do remote? Did they obviously didn't go to school, so they must have done remote um, schoolwork. Yeah. Yeah, California was one that kept remote for probably the longest of any state. So they mm. just started going back to school this year. So my both my kids missed a year and a half of high school um, and did remote learning. But I have to say the upside is that California was pretty progressive about doing online-based um, supplements to regular right, teachers right, prior right. to the pandemic. Yep, yep. So they already had the, the Canvas system in place and teachers were assigning videos and other things prior to the pandemic. So it became, it was a little easier and I felt like the kids actually learned pretty well, at least for us. That's great. And I know that wasn't the case for everyone. So. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah. It, it was pretty hard here because I know um, my ki- my um, great niece, uh, Emma and Jack, Jack should have been in kindergarten, but he wasn't. They had nothing, not, excuse me, uh, nursery school, and they didn't have anything for him. Um, Emma, everything was remote. She was in the second grade at the time, and it was pretty hard. Yeah. And, and also, they yeah. missed their, you know, little boys need other little boys around, and um, yeah. that was very hard. I have to say, now he's in kindergarten, so it's so much better, and she's back in school. So um, for her, it was a yeah. little easier because she was older. She was seven at the time, and she had friends that she could call on the phone and do FaceTime with. But um, it was hard. It really was. And I, I, I just, I, I, it's so good to talk to you about this because you're very positive about the future yeah. of this. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and I know, being down the Cape, as you know, people here are so great. I never had a problem. Yeah. And, of course, I don't know if you know, but the way I got around um, the whole thing of libraries not being open or whatever is going to the Doubletree Hotel because <laughs> they're my buddies. I stayed there when the weather's bad. Yeah. And I would go there every day and sit in the lobby and be in the computer. And, uh, of course, you bond. You, you just get very close. It, it, it was a very emotional yeah. time for us. And, um, but I found that being in the Cape, being in the Cape was really terrific. Everyone was so helpful. We were never in lockdown yeah. like you. We were never in lockdown yeah. like you. So I could move and groove. Yeah. I could get around, um, which was very yeah. fortunate yeah. because if I had to stay in the cottage, and you, of course you know what my cottage is like, all by myself on the grounds, 
I, Matt, I would have been a McLean's. I mean, it's not even an issue yeah. here yeah. Um, to be alone yeah, here. Totally. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. And um, so, and also, there was no trouble with people with masks. You hear these stories that people get so mad about wearing a mask. Yeah. Did you see that at all in California, where you were? I mean, were people angry because they had to wear a mask? No, I mean, I live in the Bay Area, which is a total bubble of, like, yeah, you know, it really is. High, very liberal. And it's also not only the liberal, it's full of academics and high-tech yep. workers and every, right. everyone who's, like, really up on all this stuff. So even now, it's like, there's masks everywhere, all the, all yeah. the places you go. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's really, because yeah. we just had a big thing in the summer. I don't know if you read about it. In Provincetown, they had an upswing. Of, right, um, sure. Yeah, and yeah. but they were able to get rid of it. And I was watching my state senator uh, Julian Sir. I don't know if you know him. He was on TV yesterday, talking about how they got rid of it. And they got rid of it. He said because we test. We're on top of it all the time. We're on top of it all the time. Right. So they tested very quickly. They got rid of it very quickly. And um, they, they're doing very well down there. It has really disappeared in Provincetown. And also because there were so yeah. many gay people there, that was another issue. He said they they are used to these these viruses with the HIV and the AIDS, so they're very on top yeah. of this kind of an issue. And yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we have about yeah. a minute left, our two minutes yep. left. And I'm wondering, is there anything you want to say to anybody about anything? Because it's been great talking to you, Matt. It really has. Any last yeah. words? No, I mean, it's, uh, and I just hope people are out there still getting vaccinated and getting their booster shots. And I hope that people uh, are getting a little more optimistic about the future. I do think these pandemics are, are things that, you know, unfortunately have cycles and it's, uh, you know, 100 years and we happen to be in one of it. And hopefully uh, it'll right. be another 100 years before something like this happens again. But I think uh, we're, on, we're on the right track now. Well, I'm so glad to hear that and so glad to hear your voice. Listen, give my regards to everybody. Give my, and it's great yeah, talking okay. with you. Bye. Yeah, great to talk to you. Bye. Right, bye.